Jones from David Goldstein. And I'm Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into a bonus episode of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is a podcast which Brian and myself use the music of Fish to introduce the listener to non-jam bands that we think that they might enjoy. We usually talk a little bit about Fish and relate them to some other bands. However, for this bonus, we're doing something a little bit different. And we are talking about uh, The War on Drugs, A Deeper Understanding, their fourth record, which is being released today, August 25th, 2017. Uh, if any, any of you who are longtime listeners of Beyond the Pond, you've probably heard The War on Drugs be spoken of a number of times. This is uh, unquestionably the most anticipated record of 2017 for Dave and I, and we wanted to do a uh, deep dive on our first impressions and thoughts of the record right as it came out. So, Dave, what were uh, what are your first thoughts on A Deeper Understanding? Well, for starters, he's been either here, like the record label, they've been releasing singles from this record at a pretty regular clip, I think. Um, yeah. By the time there was a stream made available today, there had already been four or five songs out. At the same time, I hadn't heard half the record, so today at the office I had uh, some extra time. I sat down and streamed the whole thing twice, and first impression, I'm extremely impressed. Um, He really called his shot. He took the major label money, he took the complete artistic freedom, and he seems like he squirreled himself away to get it just right because he knew that he could do it. And based upon what I've heard today in streaming it, this absolutely sounds like the war on drugs. It sounds like a very worthy successor to Lost in the Dream, but it sounds tighter. It sounds brighter. It sounds more involved. And it basically, it seems like everything that we liked about the last record except bigger and more of it. Yeah, I would agree with that uh, 100%. I listened to this for the first time this evening, sitting on my back patio. Uh, my first uh, thoughts, first things I typed out, this is a fine-tuned, warmer, cleaner version of the war on drugs without, without sacrificing any of their edge or soul that made Lost in the Dream, in my opinion, the best record of the decade thus far. Uh, as I'm listening to it, I feel like Pain might be the best song I've heard all year. And then a couple songs later, In Chains starts, and I immediately say, wait, no, this is the best song I've heard all year. In Chains, my God, that I, song. I mean, that song, <laughs> for me, uh, the the um, sneaky pick from Lost in the Dream, uh, kind of underrated pick that I just fell in love with as I listened to the record you know, 50, 60, 70 times over and over again was burning. And yeah. this feels mm-hmm. like the next step forward for burning. Um, unbelievable song. Yeah. When that song shows up, it comes after the 11 minute centerpiece. Think of a place which was actually first revealed in a record store day release. I think we touched upon an earlier episode. It's um, 11 minutes and moody. And then in change comes in and it's just, yeah, I mean, I thought exactly this is the burning of the album. This is yeah. the this is the anthem. This is the one you obviously put a lot of time into it. It's got hooks galore. It could be, in a sense, the ultimate war on drugs song. It's like the progression from the song Baby Missiles off Slave Ambient to Burning to kind of like he's perfected that form, I guess. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And and 
touching on um, thinking of a place, the the first single that was released back in April, 11-minute epic uh, song that just kind of comprises all of the sounds and the atmospheres that have really made um, The War on Drugs just such a compelling band over the last 10 years. I didn't really know what to make of when I saw the track listing come out, it being in the middle of the record, but it really fits well in terms of bridging those first four hits that came off um, with the backside of the, of the album, most of which we had never heard before. Um, I thought it was just a really fantastic bridge from side A to side B and, and just really fit in that slot perfectly. Um, you know, one thing that I thought, and I was actually talking with a friend about this uh, right after Up All Night came out, these songs all sound like memories I don't know if I have but I'm sure I've experienced in some hazy moment of life I feel like I'm like just on the edge of touching some sort of a memory when I hear these songs and I feel like that's like a huge um, thing that that it comes out of the, the style that uh, Gransill and uh, the war on drugs play play within like that those 80s heartland soundscapes that always just kind of sound like a feeling that's really close by to you but not necessarily something that you can um, reach out and touch I don't know what your thoughts are on that the album um, the 2011 album slave ambient I mean the first time I really started getting into that I remember uh, renting a car in Oregon with my wife and we were driving up to I think it was Mount Hood listening to that record and seeing the tall trees and thinking it was very perfectly placed. But yeah, I mean, he specializes in very much um, almost like an 80s, you know, 80s Springsteen, 80s Mellencamp sound. I mean, if this had come out, let's say anywhere from 84 to 88, it would have been played to death on terrestrial AOR radio. And that's <laughs> that's not a complaint at all. I happen to love that stuff, yeah. especially um, Bruce Hornsby. Very much looms large. Certainly, the '80s Hornsby records with sounds like uh, the Valley Road, Every Little Kiss, Look Out Any Window. Not so much the way it is, but the other songs from that album. They were very synth heavy. They had they had the gated drums. So ultimately, they were uh, happened to be radio anthems. But you know, certainly. Uh, the 80s have always loomed heavy with the war on drugs as a music, sort of like putting Bruce Hornsby into a shoegaze blender, which I have zero issue with. I think, I think it's a great mix. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that jumped out, I was I was finishing up the album. Grandstill really knows how to close records. Uh, you go back to Slave Ambient, Blackwater Falls is an absolutely fantastic closer in reverse thought was such a great cap to uh, Lost in the Dream. Really like taking the idea of an album closer and just uh, stretching it out um, and you know giving it that epic quality that makes you feel like you really just finished something special. You Don't Have to Go is right in line with all of those. I thought that was an absolutely beautiful and devastating and really heavy closer that just makes you want to go back and press play again on up all night and, and do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. It's somewhat when it progresses towards the end, it almost feels novelistic. It's got, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, totally. there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end and the progression. It's very well sequenced. 
which in this day and age of Spotify playlist is not always a given. But he's he's old school. He's 38 years old. I'm going to be 38 years old in a month. Obviously, it seems like he was raised on the same albums I was raised on. I don't know if he has any memories of being in the back seat of his mother's like uh, mother's blue Chevy Eurosport, listen to Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp and Don Henley and Jackson Brown like I did. But it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case. Yeah, I um, I had a thought similar to that. Uh, you know, I was two years old when The Joshua Tree came out, and it's the first album I remember being played um, in regularity in my parents' house. Um mm. And this record is coming out right at around the same time. My son's about to turn two years old. Um, the idea of this record playing over the next two to three years with the kind of regularity that um, uh, the Joshua Tree played when I was a kid, you know, just, just projecting the influence that this, this record could potentially have on his life is just almost too much to take in. Um, but it's comforting, right? It's very comforting. It's it's uh, it's very serendipitous in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so one thing I wanted to talk with you about you you and I have talked obviously on this podcast and outside of this podcast at length about Lost in the Dream. That was an incredibly special record. Um, I think we both went on record saying it was a masterpiece. Um, oh, yeah. I believe it's the best record of the decade. At times, there there are moments where I would say that it's the best record I've, I feel like I've ever heard. It just hit me on so many levels. Um, what do you think about this record? And obviously, it's early, and you know I'm hesitant to even bring this type of stuff up. But what would you say about a deeper understanding after a couple listens compared to Lost in the Dream? I would say time will tell, yeah. but it already I know it has a lot of the qualities that I very much loved with Lost in the Dream. Yeah. I'm thinking that at some point it could reach that pantheon. I like the fact that it's 66 minutes long, that it takes its time. I think only one of the songs is under six minutes. Um, yeah. yeah. Which I think is like the fourth song on the record, the name of which tends to escape me at the moment. But yeah, I mean, what I loved about Lost in the Dream is that uh, like Adam Grandshell is clearly in love with sound like you know he pays attention to every sound on the record he's a studio geek there's lots of lots of layers there's lots of things to unpack and explore but at the same time while being obsessed with sound he's a songwriter who knows how to make incredibly driving anthemic rock music songs like burning songs like ocean between the waves this makes you want to get in your car your convertible and just report on the highway at high speeds and, you know, many of the songs, it seems on deeper understanding, accomplish the same beat. Like, I know I listened to it four or five times today. I can't wait to listen to it again. I've already pre-ordered the vinyl. And while, you know, I mean, Brian, you know, face it, you and me were fanboys, but we'd absolutely call him out if there was something that we didn't like. And yeah, I'm not. Question. And so far, it seems to me that what's great about him is that. He plays to his strengths. He knows what sounds good. He stays in his lane. and He kind of has in his head, he knows exactly what he wants it to sound like, and he's willing to put the extra effort in to get that done. 
So in terms of a direct comparison to Lost in the Dream, you know, maybe the songs in Lost in the Dream will have more of a staying power. I was at a different place in my life when that record came out. My daughter had just been born. So I tend to associate a lot of it with that. In addition, when my daughter turned one, I think you played Radio City Music Hall three days later. So my wife and I kind of, to celebrate her turning one, we saw a lot of concerts that week. We saw Tame Impala, went to a Luna concert, then we saw the War on Drugs. So that kind of looms in my memory in addition to the hundreds of jobs we spent in babysitters that week. (laughs) So, you know, I mean... We will see where it ends up in the Pantheon, but most importantly, he didn't flinch. He didn't flinch. Um, kind of before I jump in, uh, the song you were referring to, the only sub-six-minute uh, song is called Knocked Down, which right. um, I thought that was the... the there was an interview I listened to uh, him with Chris Ryan uh, about a week ago where he talked about the idea of making an L.A. record. And Knockdown was really where I felt like I was listening to an L.A. record. Um, I really enjoyed that song a lot. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a very similar place with you with regards to Lost in the Dream. That was a very different place in my life. I had, um, I was in the middle of traveling around the world. Uh, I just lost my uncle. Uh, who absolutely loved the war on drugs um, and uh, came back home, saw them a bunch of times with my brother and my dad. I remember distinctly us doing a road trip up to northern Wisconsin and getting a cabin and uh, sitting out on the dock under just a blanket of stars, drinking way too many beers, and my dad saying five or six times repeatedly, Jesus, what a fucking album. Uh, <laughs> which was like it, it was just like such a connection of this this music that sounded like yeah. something from his age from someone who was relatively closer in age to my brother and I um you know and then a year later I had a son and uh I relate a lot of lost in the dream to those first few uh weeks and few months being a, a young father where I'm at now I'm completely in a completely different place um feel a heavier weight of the world, um, filled with worries I never even considered three years ago. I now know how to be a dad. I have a better sense of where I want to take my family. Um, but I know how much harder it will be to get them where I want them. You know, there's just, there's, there's more weight in the world at this point. And, um, it'll be interesting for me to, to see how this record, um, plays out through that. And if it has the same lasting impact for me that lost in the dream did my first thought and, you know, the, I'm hesitant to even do this, but the only uh, sense of criticism I would I would throw at Lost in the Dream in comparison to this is Lost in the Dream could be accused of having just a touch of filler throughout. Um, one could make the argument the final two minutes of under the pressure, under the pressure, the song disappearing, even even the haunting idol, they were more experimentations rather than like fully realized moments of songs. I love um, the haunting idol, but okay. I, I, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's a great song, but it feels like a um, uh, like like a pause in the record in some cases. Right. Um, what's great about this is that they've halted all expansiveness and exploration to go for complete gold in every single song. And and I would say to make an apt fish comparison, since this is traditionally a fish podcast, it's almost like 
comparing a fall 2013 fish jam with something from the late 90s that is 10 minutes longer, but maybe has a little bit of an added space that's not necessary. Um, okay. Less is more in this case, and they've done so much more with less. Um, he's used all the money that he got for this record and all the creative freedom in such a um, deliberate and intentional way that just adds to his sound. It's just, I love this record and I'm just really interested to see where it goes and how it fits, you know, alongside or, you know, wherever it fits in comparison to Lost in the Dream. I mean, War on Drugs, in that sense, it kind of strikes me as another band that both you and I love and have told people that we love being the National in the sense that with every national record, they hone their sound to the point where you think like, okay, they've taken the atmospheric sad bastard thing as far as it can possibly go. This record is great. I don't know what they're going to do next. And then they go and put out three years later, like another record of fantastic sad bastard music with just enough wrinkles in it to make you think, all right, this is also fantastic. Because what it really comes down to is... They're just great songwriters. Absolutely. Like, you can have all the bells and whistles in the world, but if you can't write songs for shit, none of it's good. It doesn't matter. But if you can write songs like the Destiner Brothers and Adam Grantshill can, and then, you know, you have the advantage of being able to play your strengths and putting all the bells and whistles on it and making it sound as good and as interesting as possible. Because like the National War on Drugs, they are... They sound great live. They put on a great live show, but they are hardcore studio bands. They will tinker and tinker and tinker away, but um, we benefit from it. Yeah, and um, that you know, last point was uh, introduced really well in that um, stereo gum feature on this record that came out last week. Who who was the guy that wrote that? Mike Nelson, good dude. Unbelievable uh, comparison to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, specifically the scene where um, uh, Jay Bennett's adding um, just like spiraling noise to his guitar. as Like an egg timer? Yeah, as they're recording um, uh, Poor Places, um, which, you know, you, you, you can just hear that type of intricacy throughout this record. At the same time, I feel like you strip away all the effects and you put him up with just an acoustic guitar and he's touring around uh, the same theaters that Neil Young's playing in like 1971 and 1972. Right. Like the, what was the Neil Young? was the archival release, the Massey Hall show. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's if playing like to... acoustic guitar, like needle the damage done, old man. Exactly. Stuff. And, and that's, you know, so, I remember when Lost in a Dream came out, there were all these um, just clips that came out of him randomly playing some of the songs on acoustic guitar and you could just hear the origins of these songs in it and uh, I'm excited to hear uh, songs off of Deeper Understanding from the same uh, in the same sort of setting I hope he, he, he continues to do that that marketing campaign for Lost in the Dream felt unending and, and was always very exciting um, yeah I don't know what they're going to do next but um, I really love how this album refines their sound and um, you know, you take the national, for example, the clear turning point at this point would be to kind of start to fuck with his sound a little bit. I, I 
don't know how much I want him to, but I'm Good. gonna I'm gonna go for the. I like have a Nebraska in him. Yeah, just have a totally stripped down record. Yeah, do like a stripped down album. Make your next album double live. Yeah. Want to do something totally, totally seventies eighties? You know that he could put out a fantastic live record. He could uh, make that sound very good with a minimum amount of overdubs. Yeah, I mean, I'm just happy this one exists here. I'm sure that he will put out something probably very good in three to four years down the line. I've been Today, this would rank in your overall 2017 list. So I'm tempted to say it's my number one after one full listen. Listen, uh, nothing I've heard this year has given me the overall emotional, like lyrical, sonic, fluid hit. Um, and I've heard some amazing records this year. Uh, I will say, unquestionably, this is in my top three. Um, and depending on what's coming down the pike i know that we're both really excited about the new national record that's coming out in two weeks and um have both heard some fantastic songs off of that uh i think that that live show that they played a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago we got basically the whole album um i'm very excited more or less the one in paris or the pitchfork paris yeah i'm very excited to dive into that and and uh knowing how i feel about the national i could easily see that in my top two or three so I would not be surprised if this ends up in my top two at the very least by the end of the year, but um, I'm tempted to kind of go out on a limb and say that this is my favorite record I've heard this year at this point. Yeah, I would say easily in the top five of things I've listened to this year, maybe top three. Lately, I've been listening to a record by a guy named Luke Elliott, which I will talk about on the next Beyond the Pond podcast, which is absolutely slaying me. But um, even still, I would say, yeah, this record certainly, I have every reason to believe the forthcoming national album will be very good. I like what I like. And, you know, on one hand, it could say it could be very, very predictable to put an album like this rank so highly. But, you know, if it's good, it's good. It didn't have to be. He could have screwed it up, but, you know, The War on Drugs was always one of my favorite bands, which should be anticipated. If he pulls it off, it's going to be up there. What do you? What would you say, just kind of uh, from your first couple of listens, what are two songs that uh, really stick out for you? In Chains, absolutely. That's the centerpiece, barn burner, uh, emotional experience. I can't wait to drink double IPAs in the couch on... Friday night and have a good cry song. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Um, 
aside from that, I mean, the one before, Thinking of a Place, even though I've heard it several times, the guitar solo on that song, it just feels like cold fire, like you spouting like a blue flame, mm-hmm. if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been... Even having listened to that song 10 or 15 times, I still can't quite figure out the guitar solo. It's really... That's another thing. I mean, it almost goes without saying at this point, but the guy's an incredible guitarist. Like, if you want... He wants solos. He gives you solos. He gives you, I mean, pound for pound, he pulls off some of the most emotional guitar solos since, like, late 70s David Gilmore in terms of... uh, He gives you solos that are just ripping. He gives you hooks. And then his rhythm playing is just uh, gorgeous as well. I mean, he's got a really complete package from a guitar standpoint. Um... Yeah, you know, I'll piggyback on your your answer. And, you know, one of the things that blew me away, um, you and I talked about this uh, just kind of, I think, through text. Um, there was a point when he released his, the, the, fifth, the fifth song off this record, and I was kind of like, all right, I don't want the whole album before I get the whole album. Um, and I was kind of hesitant to keep listening to the songs because I just didn't want to grow sick of them in any sort of way without hearing the full record. And now that I hear the full record, thinking of a place fits so well on there. I said this earlier, but but it makes me hear it almost anew again. Yes. Um, I would point out, you know, those two songs you mentioned, In, In Change, I think, is, is, is the best song of the record. Um, but Pain, song number two, is mm. absolutely devastating. I was listening to that on my drive home from work today. And um, lyrically, there's a lot of uh, stuff that really resonates with me. Um, and, and I think it's one of those songs I'm going to just keep listening to and hear the layers of his lyrics intertwined with the hooks that are in there and the, all the backing music. And um, I think that that has a feeling like a, a deeper understanding's eyes to the wind for me. Um, but then strangest thing, uh, that when, when he like breaks down and goes into that, the, the, the main hook of the song, um, with just like like a tube screamer and just distortion on, under it. It's absolutely devastating guitar work. It's like you're saying in terms of David Gilmore, it's uh it just completely grabs you and it takes a hold of your your insides, your everything. It's an unbelievable musical moment. Why should people listen to this record? I don't know, do you have a pulse? <laughs> Anyone raised on classic rock, anyone who sat on a porch in a summer night and let a record blast in their speakers, anyone who dreams the possibilities of the open road or believing that music's got some power or necessity, you'll enjoy this record. If you enjoy Beyond the Pond, you'll find something to enjoy in this album. There's uh, This is not something we should have to sell to you. Not at all. This is a absolutely fantastic record. A deeper understanding by the war on drugs. Um, yeah, I uh, I'm just looking forward to uh, growing old with this record for the rest of the year and and for years to come. <laughs> I pre-ordered the vinyl. I'm Same keep here. Open it shows up at my door. I've got my fingers crossed. It comes on Friday, so I can put my kid to bed and sit on the couch and drink and sink into the couch and have a cry. Maybe not have a cry. Just be happy. I just have a happy... One of those those shit-eating grins a little bit too drunk, but amazing music cry. Yeah, not like 
drinking scotch and listening to like the fourth Walkman album and having like a man cry. <laughs> I feel I feel like uh, there's going to be a lot of emotional texting happening on Friday night and maybe oh, some yeah. uh, maybe some uh, emotional tweeting as as we uh, as we hear this and as the collective. Uh, um, beyond the pond verse, here's this. Uh, I have it pre-ordered on vinyl as well, and I will be doing the exact same thing on Friday night. So, um, hope you guys enjoyed us breaking out our first thoughts here of a deeper understanding. Who knows? Maybe in three months we'll revisit this and decide that we are completely wrong and the record sucks. But I mm. highly, highly, highly doubt that. <laughs> Unlikely. So, on that note, David Goldstein. I'm Brian Brinkman. And thank you for joining us for this bonus episode of Beyond the Bond. <laughs>